Clay, what's up with it, man? Not much. Uh, I've been having a stressful week with all this shit that's going on. Uh, the dogs had to go to the... <laughs> oh, my God. We haven't vet. even talked about that. <clears throat> yeah. What happened? We probably shouldn't talk about oh, it yeah, on the po- right. podcast, but uh, not going to get into any details, but the dogs are doing fine now. It was just this whole ordeal that happened. Yeah. But Jesus yeah, they're, Christ, they're, they're good. Yeah. Um, how have you been? Um, uh, on the grind, as I always say. Um, I just got done working out because I'm on this whole like hashtag gains thing, like with a Z. Oh, yeah. You know, where I'm like building muscle except not actually it's all placebo you know i got that like protein powder and then i got this like (laughs) protein oat milk and then i like put them both and it's like way more protein than you should probably even have but yeah yeah it makes me think it makes me think i'm bulking up yeah that's good i mean i i apparently have the (laughs) i'm under the impression that you just eat anything and you get enough protein yeah (laughs) the fucking vegan propaganda that i consumed but yeah um yeah i well i mean there's pretty good evidence because on my own personal um when i get my blood work done and they're like your protein is like perfect it's like right in the middle of the range or whatever Mm -hmm. so that would you (laughs) see like vegan chicken patties and like chips (laughs) well no i i mean i do eat that kind of shit but even if i eat I, i try to eat relatively healthy but uh it's different every day basically but mm-hmm. i mean i eat a lot of berries too and like oh there you um, go started eating sweet potatoes just oh yes Those fucking are nuke it in the microwave for yep. like this is a, a this american left recipe for y'all yeah this is you, an po- you poke some holes you poke some holes in a sweet potato and you put it in the, in the microwave for like seven minutes boom and that's, it's that's delicious a meal right you, put, there. you can put stuff on it you don't really need to but I put like vegan butter and uh, what was it like seasoned salt or something. But you I tried can to pile stuff on loaded loaded potatoes. But I tried to put some fucking sweet potatoes on this. Like I got ambitious one week and was like, I'm gonna meal prep a salad that has like arugula, sweet potatoes. Like I don't even remember like a bunch of other shit. And then it just ended yeah. up being like this like wilted like cold like sopping i don't know it was jesus christ (laughs) it was a major disappointment i was really sad (laughs) oh no i that happens sometimes we're like okay so for instance i tried to make this uh peanut sauce with like rice noodles it was like really simple and i didn't realize i didn't have like one of the ingredients which was coconut milk Mm. And, and i was like oh i have soy milk whatever it's the fucking same thing and I used it, and it tasted so horrible. <laughs> yeah, there's a big difference. I was just, like, eating it, and I was like, I can't eat this. Yeah. It tastes, it was, like, way too sweet. It was just, like, sugary because of the, or I don't know, I don't even know. Soy milk is, like, a thing of the past. Yeah, I don't know. I still drink it because I'm, like, living in 19, 2006 Yeah, you're in a weird place time-wise, yeah, mentally. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get into how old I am, folks, but you probably know. I'm older than the average bear. Older well, really. than someone who should be saying based. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to because stay, somehow stay young. I don't even know what that means. So I have based little... in the notes in the the Jesus notes on Christ. this episode. Well, which yeah, I don't. Know. That really just exemplifies what we're talking about. Okay, <laughs> continue. 
Okay, folks, welcome to This American Left. My name is Matthew. My name is Hannah. And we and are siblings. siblings. Hey, that was and, good. Yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> we're just like so off. Yeah. <laughs> Every time we record, yeah, we're like, oh, like, what it are we takes doing? so long. Yeah, sorry, folks, we're trying to ramp up the, the output here, but a lot of shit going on. Yeah. I started selling t shirts, though. Slinging. Yeah, he. Like I said, every time I talk to Matt, he has a new scheme. But this one's actually, like, definitely check out the store because I was, you know, I'm not surprised. You're you're a salesman, you're an artist, (laughs) you're creative. But there are pretty fucking cool designs and definitely diverse interests. If you're into the topics we talk about on here, you'll definitely be into those t-shirts. Yeah. Thanks for the shout out, (laughs) sis, Hannah. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I just, like, the thing is, I went to art school one time. It cost a lot of money. I'm in a lot of debt from that. So I was, like, (laughs) thinking about... I wasn't really thinking about that. It was subconscious. But I started designing leftist kind of slogans with, like, Photoshop, different fonts and stuff. And then I was just posting them on my Instagram. And as, as people know, I got a lot of Instagram followers lately. And then I was, like just thinking out loud i was like posting like hey i could do t-shirts t-shirt designs of this shit and then people are like yeah i'd buy that and i was like oh yeah okay i'll actually do that and then so yeah it's it's all there's a lot of different designs i put a lot of effort into it um it's on my instagram page there's there's a link we don't have to talk too much about me selling shit because that's like (laughs) (laughs) that's like actually way off topic because we're talking we're trying to talk about like black history month oh Uh... shit (laughs) <laughs> we, we ruined okay we ruined the entire episode already but that's cool we're gonna keep chugging we're gonna along. we're gonna get back on track yeah so like what we're because we're white y'all didn't first yeah, of I mean, all like tell, that's definitely a definitely a thing that first we are. thing to say <clears throat> so we're white we got a disclaimer uh you know we have the white privilege we have no idea what it's like to be a person of color in this country or anywhere or anything like that um but we we uh, are in favor of the black liberation struggle, you know, indigenous sovereignty, all the various uh, things that go along with kind of socialism, communism, anti-colonialism. Just general, that. like, human Just like, liberation yeah, solidarity, yeah. struggle. And... Exactly. So we were, like, we, had, we potentially had, like, a different topic, but then we were, like, I think we should definitely, like, address Black History Month and just, like, talk about a little bit of stuff that I definitely didn't learn in school. I know you did, like, a lot of the research for this, but I did spend some time, like, reading and watching stuff, and, like, it's just such a weird concept that, like, what we're shown is, like, one version, and by one version, it's, like, the whole, like, basically, like, whitewashed propaganda, like, machine of like this is history no yeah totally and that's part of a really important thing to understand about like um how history is presented especially like as as we're talking about the black liberation movement uh black power movement and just i guess one good example is dr martin luther king jr and how his legacy is entirely sanitized from you know what it actually was he was very much opposed to capitalism um, he was opposed to American imperialism. And, yeah, there's a really good 
speech he gave, usually called Beyond Vietnam, towards the end of his life, which at the time it was extremely unpopular. It made, I mean, his approval rating just from the public just plummeted. He stopped getting donations from certain organizations. There's all this stuff. The FBI was spying on him, trying to get him to kill himself. Like, there's all this stuff that's left out of his legacy. So that's just one example. And we're going to be talking about yeah. the the Black Panther Party. So, um, yeah. You watched that documentary? <laughs> yeah, I just finished watching it. It was... Oh, man. I It, it makes me think of when we talked to Brett, and he was oh, like... Yeah. I don't know. Like, there was like three or four phrases that he used to describe like the the movement for black lives like that the whole explosion over the summer like he was like beautiful and heartrending and harrowing and like all of those things that's yeah. how i felt when i watched the documentary like i was like so yeah powerful it like it was so intense i had to just fucking sit there afterwards and like stare at the wall but i normally do that yeah it was like very emotional towards the end because it's like so we're talking about it's um the black panthers vanguard of the revolution it's a documentary it's like a pbs documentary so okay so it's a really good documentary but they do sort of omit they they don't really go into a lot of detail about kind of the foundational philosophy behind the the black panther party which is basically just marxism so i mean we can go through do like a little overview of the documentary itself. Yeah. As well as kind of, well, what are your initial thoughts besides that? Because it was really well done. Yeah. There's a lot of things that I didn't know about the Black Panther Party, but I know that you mentioned to me initially when we were speaking about it, like the fact that they were like basically created like all these structures of mutual aid. And I think a lot of people don't know that. Like, at least maybe a lot of like white people who like weren't you know they didn't they weren't shown this information um yeah so it's like i think at one point one of the dudes said like i'm just seen as like a black man and so it's like seen as like a threat and they don't like recognize the aspects of the party that were like totally like serving the community but then yeah. they go into, like, towards the end where they're, like, but we don't want to be seen as, like, oh, we're just, like, serving breakfasts for children. We're, like, we're trying to, like, overthrow the government. We're, like, a, a revolutionary yeah. party. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that's a good point because when you think of, like, just the iconic imagery of the Black Panther Party, it's, like, you know, these these black, these very hip-looking uh, yeah. black men and women with like afros with the leather jackets and the sunglasses and it's like a lot of people were attracted to like the aesthetic of the black panther party and the black liberation movement so they kind of missed it's kind of part of american culture where we focus on aesthetics mm-hmm. and sort of the commodification more so than the actual content um so yeah, yeah i mean the and and the other aspect is like that the armed self-defense which is how it started out so a lot of people just see it as like these these armed black people that are like badass which is true but also there's more too there's a lot more too well yeah and it definitely it's i like like we were saying it's like the whitewashing and then like the watering down so it's like pretty much oversimplifying things as much as possible like 
in my mind when I was probably like early in high school my understanding was like Martin Luther King Jr. was like the quote-unquote like good leader who was like non-violent and then there's like the Black Panthers and like Malcolm X and they're seen as like just like militant <laughs> and like dangerous yeah, yeah, or the, whatever the like scary, the, scary yeah, black people. <laughs> yeah exactly like those are the two sort of like and the reality is like not that and extremely more like nuanced and like like you said it's a lot of it is rooted in like marxism and anyways we can get into it but yeah definitely yeah so i guess to start out with like we have to remember that this was a very like revolutionary time period in the entire world not just like the u.s um this was in the wake of like anti-colonialist like um you know decolonization movements in africa the middle east barely throughout the world there were socialist movements in latin america going on um there was so the the soviet soviet union was still around which is pretty big deal there was the chinese revolution that it succeeded in 1949 and then the Cuban Revolution in 1959. So uh, those are a few of the revolutionary movements going on at the time. And they were all, all of these movements were kind of inspiring and, uh, you know, informed kind of the, the formation of the Black Panther Party. Um, but what you have to think about specifically in the U.S. is white supremacy. So this was shortly after some of the legislative uh, accomplishments of the civil rights movement. And yeah, so like the, it was basically like a white backlash. So these cops were like brutalizing black people even more than usual, basically. And so Bobby Seale and Huey Newton founded the Black Panthers in 1966 in Oakland, California. And it was really like, you know, this self-defense, community defense, policing the police kind of organization. Um, so, I mean, really what they started out doing was doing these patrols where they would, like, follow police around and, like, observe them. It's kind of like today when people are, like, filming the police. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, it was really, like, a response to, like, police terror, like, white supremacist police terror against the black community. Um, so really what they did was like, <clears throat> uh, Huey Newton studied up on the law and he realized that actually in California it was like open carry was legal mm -hmm. as long as you were not, had not committed a felony. And, you know, he cited the second amendment as well when he was talking about this, but he was like, you know, we can have our guns on public property. Um, so what they did was they just, yeah, they followed cops around. They maintained, like, a pretty long distance from them and just kind of observed, um, you know, them carrying out their duties. Yeah, <laughs> so, as they uh, quote, said. Quote, unquote, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, their duties. Uh, you know, the cops' <laughs> cops' duties are not, not good stuff, but... Yeah, um, I mean, I, as a quick aside, I was, like, pretty struck by how much, like, all of what they were doing at the time has like informed what we do now in terms of you know people talk about like cop watching and like yeah. training people on how to basically try to emulate some of those 
Yeah, and it's like it's expanded to a lot of stuff. There's like the police, the police, like it's like a website or like social media page, which is which is like really huge, and it's very informative. It's like videos of cops and like what to do, which it's there's actually a huge <laughs> disparity between like people of color and and white people in terms of what you can actually do <laughs> around cops. Yeah, but uh, it's still it's still good to know like what you should do, um, and this kind of reminds me of like killer mike talking about like survive the encounter mm-hmm. you know where it's it's a lot different for for people of color folks of color um but there are on the books at least there's laws to protect people from police overreach and whatnot but um yeah it, we'll see later from uh getting into some of these programs how the black panthers inspired kind of modern uh programs and stuff but this is one example for like mm-hmm. you know policing the police. Um, there's another cool factoid here. This is from an article for Blimberation News, uh, which is like the newspaper of PSL, Pub- um, Party for Socialism and Liberation. Check it out. Um, so if people are wondering about the the Black Panther, like the Panther, the symbolism. So this guy John uh, Hewlett. He was the one who chose this symbol, and he said, uh, the panther is an animal that, when pressured, moves back until it is cornered. Then it comes out fighting for life and death. We felt we had been pushed back long enough and that it was time for black people to come out and take over. So that's a little fact about the symbolism of the of the panther itself. Um, yeah, so there was... <laughs> Just this is like just something I observed about the documentary was that they had some white police officers. Oh my god, I know. Which was like they didn't have them that often, but you know it's like the whole uh, fair and balanced. Like we have to have some racist pigs in here. Like I don't know. Well, yeah, I was like, at first I was like, oh, are these people who like came to their senses after? like working in that environment and now they're still like yeah they were a major threat to the community they're like like, yeah they were like terrorists (laughs) yeah so black people are like terrorists uh yeah that still is like ridiculous because there's one former police officer i i don't know if it was lapd or something like that but he was like he explained this um this whole police the police thing that the panthers did as intimidating (laughs) Yeah, and and I was like, oh yeah, Are you yeah, yeah, fucking serious, dude. Yeah. Like you're a fucking white supremacist, like at the time enforcing American apartheid, and you're gonna call it intimidating for like people to defend themselves. Yeah, well, and also the the very least they can do is fucking try to intimidate you into not brutalizing oh, yeah. people. Yeah. Like seriously, that's such a minor thing oh we were intimidated oh you were what you felt what scared just like like us yeah exactly (laughs) like Like, imagine what it's like to fucking yeah it's yeah and of course yeah i just can't but uh (laughs) okay so moving on so like you know this term the vanguard so the the panthers called themselves the vanguard because they were they were like setting an example kind of an archetype or whatever um for the community to follow and as we'll see um, it really did expand significantly, uh, the Black Panther Party. So, 
They started, like, cropping up in, like, cities all over the country. Yeah. It was massive, uh, like, a massive movement. Yeah, um, so, I think like, that was, real quick, that was something that, like, struck me about it was, like, the level of organization and orchestration. Yeah. I was, and like... Just how nationwide. Yeah, like, it's pretty amazing how... I mean, that's what a movement, like, a successful yeah. movement is, but... I that's was, why it was seen as such a threat to, like... The FBI, oh, like the FBI. Well, we'll get into that later. Yeah. But, um, so like, just on the on the whole issue of guns. Um, so basically, this is something that has happened throughout U.S. history, which is like racist gun control leg- legislation. So like, the whites were <laughs> scared of you know these scary black people who are defending themselves, right? So in like California, at the time, Ronald fucking Reagan was governor, right? So. One of the most evil pieces of shit ever. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, yeah, if you conser- if there's like three conservatives listening to this for some reason, yeah, Ronald Reagan did some gun control. Just so you know. Um, <laughs> so it's called. So it's the Mulford Act. But only and, for black people. Yeah, yeah, it, it's fine because it was only for black people. So, um, but like once uh, the. The Panthers uh, heard about this. They staged this pr- uh, this protest, which is kind of like very iconic because there was a lot of photographs taken of it. So they went to the uh, state capitol in Sacramento, and this was in 1967, so not too long after the party formed. Um, so it's 30 Black Panther members, um, you know, dressed to the teeth in their very fashionable c- clothing. So these, you know, a lot of these photographs are really cool. They're holding shotguns, um, and this is just like an like an armed protest. Uh, I guess they didn't really know. People didn't really know if they were um, loaded weapons or not. I think I, I think I found some information that they were not loaded, and it was just kind of like yeah for the you know Spectacle. the visuals yeah. of it. Yeah, but um, so a lot of these white folks are running away, scared and shit. And so uh, Bobby Seale, he said, uh, this is to the American people in general and black people in particular, talking about the terror, brutality, murder, and repression of black people by the racist power structure of America. And he said that, you know, the time has come for black people to arm themselves against this terror before it, before it's too late. Um, so this is a really good early example of like community defense obviously mm-hmm. very inspiring to modern there's like a it's like a huey newton gun club now and there's also obviously a lot of people know about the socialist rifle association there's a few other ones there's like redneck revolt um john brown gun club but yeah if i was ever still having my little like liberal gun control fantasy I'm not anymore. <laughs> oh, just, there you go. See, I'll just say this that. Is a, yeah, guys, uh, folks out there, Hannah's gradually being, quickly being ra- radicalized. So. Yeah, it doesn't uh, take much. I <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, because it's literally, like, the only things that I'm not on is, like, basically I just haven't been given the information yet or whatever. And then I, uh, yeah, I mean, it just makes so yeah, much sense for marginalized For people sure. to defend themselves yeah seriously specifically it's like, black come people on. yeah it's yeah yeah 
common sense. What's the white liberals are like, yeah, it's just ridiculous. They're like, well, but what about mass shooters? And it's like, those, those are white. They're white. Yeah. Yeah. How are you going to get guns away from them without, you know, not uh, affecting the people who are like overly policed and therefore have, you know, like criminal records, like just for, for doing nothing. Yeah. For just existing. It's like, yeah, the, the, the laws like that, just like the war on drugs are going to disproportionately affect people of color. So yeah. Think about that libs. Um, (laughs) Always got to have one of those comments. Yeah, I know. Seriously. It's like, yeah. So we're going to talk about, um, just first of all, this is, we got to mention the, the organization started growing rapidly at this point and like young people were joining in mass and like in some cases moving across the country to join mm-hmm. the California, like where the Black Panthers started out. Um, like people so, who were like 16, 17 through like yeah. 20, early 20s, like super young. Yeah. Yeah. There was some point where it was like 19 was like the median age yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so they started, you know, the party started kind of developing a coherent sort of like strategy and list of kind of demands and like things that they were going to pursue. Um, so this is stuff like, you know, decent housing, education, freedom from police oppression. So they, they put out this 10 point program. So, um, this is just from the Howard Zinn Education Project. The 10-point program arose from the Black Panthers' assessment of the social and economic conditions in their community. It became part of the party's philosophical backbone and served as a model for many other community groups, such as the Brown Berets, the Young Lords, and the Red Guard. So let's just go ahead and read through this actual 10-point program. So number one, we want freedom. We want power to determine the, de- the destiny of our black community. Uh, number two, we want full employment for our people. And number three, we want an end to the robbery by the capitalists of our black and oppressed communities. Number four, we want decent housing fit for shelter of human beings. Uh, number five, we want education for our people that exposes the true nature of this decadent American society. We want education that teaches us our true history and our role in the present day society. Number six, we want all black men to be exempt from military service. Uh, Seven, we want an immediate end to police brutality and murder of black people. Eight, we want freedom for all black men held in federal, state, county, and city prisons and jails. Uh, Number nine, we want all black people when brought to trial to be tried by tried in court by a jury of their peer group or people from their black communities as defined by the constitution and 10 we want land bread housing education clothing justice and peace damn that's good stuff yeah like once again very basic yeah it's seriously it's like it's inspiring but at the same time it's like come on the, like the fact that we have yeah dignity like yeah, yeah just very basic and I think, yeah, they were very lenient because there was also like this very long thing. We're, we're not going to read it, but it's like what we believe. And they basically like have all these caveats. Like if this doesn't happen, then we're going to pursue this. Like we want yeah. ho- housing, but if it's not provided by these, you know, capitalist landlords, we want um, 
like communal, like collectivized housing or something. Yeah. And they said, you know, if they're not going to give us jobs that pay well, we're going to seize the means of production. So like, you know, they're, they're very like patient and saying like, here's just some bare minimum shit (laughs) that we need. Well, yeah. And that's going like along with the whole, you know, like what the Panther symbolizes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So moving on, um, Let's yeah, talk so a they... little bit about how, like, the the party was not only fighting white supremacy, but also, like, capitalism at the same time. Yeah, so this is something that, like, the documentary kind of touches on it, but doesn't go into a lot of detail. But there's there's more to it that we're going to get to at the end. But, um, so basically they saw economics, an economic system in which people were living in slums without healthcare and like without food um you know if that reminds you of anything but um <laughs> yup still <laughs> happening now yeah so and they said in order to be free that system had to be dismantled so this was like um some of the female black panther party members like phyllis jackson and elaine brown who were talking about this in the mm-hmm. documentary so yeah that's a really important part of the black panther party and the black liberation struggle is anti-capitalism, socialism, Marxism, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Analyzing your material conditions, trying to find an alternative. Yeah. You having know the power. thing. Work, workers having power. You know the thing, yeah. You know the thing. <laughs> you know the thing. We always get back to the Biden quote. <laughs> you know the thing. It's fucking brilliant. But, uh, yeah, so this, yeah. Really, no, I don't like, know if you, okay, I don't want to get you off track, but I don't no, know it's if okay. you, um had any thoughts on like and I don't know if we're going to talk about this later but like what kind of happened when the party started fractioning yeah after being under so much like duress and threat oh yeah well we can we can probably get to that that later but yeah I don't know because it's the way the notes are structured it's like chronologically <laughs> yeah no i'm like sure. i don't know, I have no idea yeah <laughs> I just gotta make sure. well we can start getting into that actually because this is how it started fracturing yeah well, yeah yeah so there's this guy eldridge cleaver who became very that's what made me think of it yeah so he's like uh kind of like an intellectual he actually wrote a book called uh, soul on ice and this became like a very popular book and that kind of like articulated the black liberation uh, philosophy and stuff like that and so he was seen, so he became kind of like a literary star, and basically this this lended credibility to the Black Panther Party in the eyes of like intellectuals and academics. Um, he really was very articulate, articulate in terms of the Black Panther Party's philosophy. Um, so keep that in mind, he's this very charismatic figure, right? Yeah. Um, so what happens next is Huey Newton is charged for the murder of a police officer in, I was going to say pig, I have pig in my notes. In this, in the spirit of the Panthers, I want to try to say pig more often. So, <laughs> so in October of 1967, Huey Newton is arrested. And what basically happens is there is this massive movement. It's like free Huey, mm-hmm. uh, massive protests. And then, uh, you know, like, as we said, became a nationwide movement, you know, just like the Panther Party itself. Um, 
And so Eldridge Cleaver is kind of like the only, <laughs> in the documentary, they're like, he's the only available spokesperson. <laughs> yeah. And That he, was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only available spokesperson. There's, there's other Panthers who are like later in the documentary, they're like, this motherfucker was wild. Like, we didn't want him representing. Oh. Like, so like, this is one of the kind of uh, precursors to what happens later is, Eldridge Cleaver is talking about how there's a war that that's imminent if Huey isn't released. Mm-hmm. So already he's like escalating the rhetoric, which I don't know. I mean, it's I'm not gonna like critique them, but like even yeah. some other even some other Panthers were like, I don't know if we should be doing this. Yeah, I mean that's not something like we can necessarily speak to like. Yeah, because we're white. That again, once again, once again, but like <laughs> I guess just important to note that there was kind of like divisions forming on kind of what rhetoric to use and what like tactics I guess or strategies yeah so basically putting that aside for now like the the Panthers were like continuously gaining popularity and part of it with like college students specifically yeah and and this free Huey movement was part of that too and like well, as we were mentioning before, the the appeal of like the aesthetics, you know, the style, the leather jackets, sunglasses, afros, uh, and the afros that was like part of this "Black is Beautiful" message, which is really cool. Um, you of know, like, like you know, don't like how be... you naturally are is like yeah, beautiful. Fucking awesome! I love it. Um, so anyway, <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. Like, I was so struck by how cool they look and i was like oh yeah oh yeah for sure. that's not the point bro to myself in my own brain but then i was yeah. like <laughs> it's part of it's part of the appeal for sure yeah yeah it, it helps you know it's like you know it's outreach part of it but oh oh well we can get to this later but, but that leads into kind of the one of the most famous programs the free breakfast program so we can talk about this a little bit because yeah you know, I think we've covered like the self-defense and just the aesthetics and kind of like some of the figures in the party. But so like they started implementing these programs. There's also a free clinic. There's like various food programs. Yeah. The free breakfast. So the free breakfast program was kind of like coming out at the same time as the U.S. government was doing like a, a breakfast program. And um, some people think that the Panthers program inspired the the u.s program but anyway so like our own fucking government couldn't get (laughs) together enough yeah they're like oh what people need children yeah it's like right now where they're like oh people need health care in a pandemic what seriously or people need to not live outside in the middle of winter when there's a pandemic yeah people need to not be evicted during a pandemic interesting Mm -hmm. Hmm. like they never thought of it before yeah (laughs) because they don't give a fuck but because they don't care about poor people that's an important uh, thing to know about the U.S. government. They don't give a fuck about you. Okay. <laughs> Moving uh, on. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know that by now, why the fuck are you listening? <laughs> Just kidding. If, if you don't know that by now, you probably are pretty wealthy, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Or you need to... So redistribute that wealth to us. Reparations, um, folks. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Anyways. But there are all these, like, studies coming out, which to us now, it's obvious, but, like, you know... Studies showing that children who didn't have adequate breakfast were like less attentive in school. They didn't do as well. They felt they didn't feel well. They were uh, nauseous and just like 
all the stuff we know now about, you know, if you don't eat food, if you don't eat breakfast particularly. So that was part of the inspiration. And um, so they had these kitchens and dining halls that Black Panther party members would spend about two hours preparing uh, breakfast in the morning. And so it was like just really phenomenal because it, it grew just as the, as the party itself. This program grew to eventually serve about 20,000 meals yeah. in ni- 19 different communities. It's amazing. Um, and there's footage of it. It's, it's cool just showing the footage because it's a very positive, like upbeat, welcoming environment that yeah. these, uh, these dining halls. So like, it wasn't just like, people need food, here's food. There was like more dimensions well, to yeah. it. Yeah, and they talked about like the sense of community that it fostered and just kind of like, you know, helping these kids to be in an environment where they could feel like, supported and like yeah exactly you know by like people that actually look like them and yeah so that is very inspiring and i'll do a few more details because i just think that this was like a really cool program that like is kind of like underemphasized, obviously as we're talking about but um so there's david hilliard who is a former chief of staff of the black panther party And he said, food is a very basic necessity, and it's the stuff that revolutions are made of. Mm. Um, So, I mean, really, like, it it was just such a significant program, so so widespread. It was a very, like, very good, like, meal that says uh, eggs, bacon, grits, and toast. Mm -hmm. Um, And then one of the legacies was, in this article, they're talking about... um, the food justice movement is something that was inspired by this Black Panther's free breakfast program. Yeah. Uh, so, like, there's this scholar, uh, Garrett Broad, who said, um, grassroots people of color-led groups that are working to promote health, equity, and sustainability throughout the urban food, throughout um, urban food activism. So it's, like, modern. This is, like, modern uh, movements for you know, like food justice. Um, there's all these, you know, community gardens and that sort of yeah. thing. Uh, they're talking about in in the San Francisco Bay Area, with like, yeah, like community gardens and cooperatives and Just like there's trying a project. To make food like accessible. Like yeah, food. exactly. Yeah. So, so basically, this article is at the end. There's they say that many draw a direct line from the Black Panthers. Um, through to today, like these movements for hundred percent community so gardening ways. and all that shit. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. So, oh my God, there's there's the so shitty... many things. <laughs> yeah, but that's really inspiring. One of the main, really inspiring aspects of the Black Panther Party. Oh my um, God! But now the fucking tide turns, you guys. Y- don't even. Yeah, sorry about this, but um, but yeah, we want to emphasize. There's this is just the one that we wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, there, in this article, they say there were 
about 60 programs total. And like mm-hmm. I said, there's a free clinic. There's all sorts of different programs they had for strengthening their communities, uh, pr- providing basic needs and, and so forth. Okay, so, whew, gotta, as I said before, I got to stretch before this, but... <laughs> No, this is the part that's... As, very, as they're, like, sweeping <laughs> through, like, creating all of these amazing, like, supportive changes to support their communities, then guess what happened? The U.S. government didn't like that. Yeah. It's a very common theme throughout history. Yeah. <laughs> so J. Edgar Hoover, right? You guys know him as... I wrote down... Epic douche, Epic douchebag and reactionary. <laughs> He's just horrible. Like, if you look into... He basically thought anything good was like a communist plot. Mm-hmm. In this case, uh, the Black Panthers were communists, so I'll give him that. But communist is good. <laughs> Communi- communism is good, so fuck him. We're communism is against good, fear. actually. <laughs> yeah. Get it on a mug. Get it on a mug, folks. I, I hate <laughs> the thing that where I have to like sell shit, but like. Get it on a know. mug, folks. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just say it again. But I actually am unemployed and like using trying to use my art as like fucking a way to get money to survive and shit. But that's another story we shouldn't be talking about. Yeah, that's about for that another we're, day. We're we're white, so okay. So COINTELPRO, Pro, y'all know about this. It's counterintelligence program. It was highly secretive and classified at the time. Um, counterintelligence program, folks. Yeah, look and, it up. And, well, they just basically smushed the three words together and put it in a big yeah, all caps word. But, uh. Neanderthals, notice. <laughs> well, no, earlier when I was seeing it on the documentary, I was like, Coint L Pro, Cointel Cointel. And then I was like, oh my go. fucking God. Yeah. Um, but once again, something that they don't want the people to know about. Anyways, yeah. continue telling us what happened. Yeah, so, yeah, y'all should look, really look into COINTELPRO because it's really fucked up, but it's also, it's like, like, highly disturbing. And everything. If you're if you're going to be a leftist and a radical and a, and a revolutionary, you need to know what you're getting yourself into and what you're going to be up against because... The they will hunt you down. Uncle Sam doesn't fuck around, like... This is just a, another aside I just thought of. Like, there's this book, um, The Jakarta Method by Vincent Bevins, talking about the decades long anti communist mass murder campaign that the US government waged around the world. We don't have to get into that today, but this is just an example of how uh, just ruthlessly opposed to positive change the, the US government is, especially if it's like socialism or something that's going to threaten their, their class interests. But um, yeah, moving on with this. So they wanted to disrupt, discredit, or neutralize uh, everyone involved in the Black Panther Party, essentially. Quote unquote, neutralize. Yeah, quote unquote, which, as we'll see later, may or may not mean murder. Yeah. So, um, Assassinate. Assassination. So uh, there's a fun fact that 245 out of the 290 Coin Pro actions were against the Black Panther Party. So that's a lot, folks. If you think about that, that's pretty much all of it. Yeah, and then I would mention that Dr. Dr. King was also a target of COINTELPRO. Uh, he was spied on by the FBI. He There's this thing that they call the suicide letter. They sent him this crudely drafted, like, shitty letter, like, anonymous letter that 
tried to blackmail him into like killing himself. Jesus <laughs> so, Christ. So this was very devastating that this started, and I would argue like this is the main. I don't think it's debatable that this is the main thing that led to the demise of the Black Panther yeah, Party. Yeah, this destroyed them. Yeah, seriously. So, I mean, just to start out with, the FBI would harass uh, Black Panther Party members and, and their, their families. And their families. Um, they would try to blackmail people, try to use fabricated uh, evidence, you know, like I was talking about with Dr. King. They tried to say he was cheating on his wife, and have they s- tried to say they had all this evidence against a person to try to blackmail them. They were doing this on a regular basis, trying to recruit informants for the FBI out of, you know, Black Panther Party membership. Um, well, then they started saying that the the members would end up having to, like, move away from their families to protect yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. And that actually leads to, um, they're, like, a lot of the Panthers end up living together. So, like, in just one house there'd be several like sometimes like six or seven or eight um black panther party members just like living in the same house um so like there is some uh former panthers interview they call this panther pads um and it's not it wasn't just yeah it wasn't just like um there's more to it than just like they were under surveillance and they wanted to like stick together so it was actually a very communal like experience and like a very like I don't know it was it was like they experienced a sense of community because they would all be rotating duties like washing uh, dishes and like cooking um, cleaning Watching like the place. yeah like security duties so they would all be rotating these these different roles so I think it was very much in the spirit of like socialism and communism on a very like like i don't know small level but it was still like yeah it's just like demonstrating that it can be done and it's like yeah it strengthens strengthens their sense of like purpose for what they're doing is to be like taking care of each other in a very like basic way yeah and it it reminded me there's this famous uh like marxist phrase which is um from each according to their ability to each according to their needs yeah so that's what i thought of when i was uh when they were showing these parts in the documentary yeah it's beautiful um yeah so and actually like there were some women uh former members who were talking about like how they had their kids with them and like yeah answering phones and and bouncing the baby and yeah yeah so like actually at towards the end of the 60s the majority of the party members were women and there was this problem with like kind of patriarchal uh, like male dominance in the party um we have to kind of emphasize that it was the entire country like it wasn't just like the black panthers were like misogynist or something. sure yeah i mean i think it was like they were like they yeah, were just, just a like reflection a lib- of... they were just like a liberatory community with each other so they were like hey this exists patriarchy exists but it also exists within us so yeah so it was a very male dominant organization but they um they were able to like i remember some of the female members were talking about how like the breakfast program helped them uh kind of reverse the gender gender roles a little bit because they were like the men they're like we got the men to do all this cooking and then the, the women to like carry guns around it was pretty cool yeah but they did emphasize that they never really overcame that, that male-dominant culture. 
Um, but so like, this is a cool thing about the Panthers was their newspaper. So they they had this newspaper that came out on a regular basis, and it was, as we said with all these other aspects, very popular. So um, they were you know selling this newspaper around the country, and this is how they raised money for like to actually fund the organization. So they said it was like let's you know, talk t- about Emery Douglas. Yeah, that motherfucker. He, yeah, that motherfucker. He did awesome illustrations, which is like they were like one so of, beautiful. Yeah, just like beautiful illustrations of the actual news that was being reported. It was like just like when you read a book and there's like it's, there's pictures that are um, drawn to kind of indicate what's going on in the story. That was what was going on with um, the illustrations that were just like very vivid. I don't know. It was just, like, really cool seeing those images. Yeah, and just, like, of just, like, people, like, everyday people. Yeah, yeah. So it was, like, that, uh, they were printing it for, like, 12 cents and selling it for, like, 25 cents, so that was how they, largely how they funded the organization. Um, and then there was one, the one illustration of the pig. <laughs> it was, like, a, like a, a pig wearing, like, a cop uniform. Yeah. Which is really, like, this is kind of the... Which is based as hell. Yeah, based as hell is what I wrote in the notes. Um, (laughs) I'll just read... I wrote that it's slightly problematic due to how it demeans the actual porcine animal of the same name. You know, actual pigs. Like, they didn't do anything wrong. They're getting dragged into this, so... (laughs) You would say that. I I would still call cops pigs. Yeah, but like I would apologize to actual pigs for like That's bringing fair. That's bringing fair. them down to the level of police officers. That's so, fair. Yeah. <laughs> is that I was wondering is that where it originated? I was going to try to research that, but it seems like this is it's like one of the main things that popularized it. I don't know if it was Yeah, cuz I I don't know. It feels like it's something that's been gone like the phrase has been there since like the beginning of time. Yeah, I'm not sure where it originated, but this did a lot to popularize it because then it started <laughs> college kids chanting stuff about pigs like fuck yeah. the pigs and all yeah but uh there's this really oh my god so there's this scene this just watch the documentary just for this one scene because <laughs> i fucking you oh i love this scene so like there's like i think it's an lapd officer he's interviewed throughout the documentary he's not in it that much but he's talking about <laughs> this time he like he was in like a black neighborhood or whatever. He walks up to this little black girl. He's like, oh, she's so cute. I walk up to her and I ask her how she's doing. And she says, fuck you, pig. And then <laughs> and he was like, like, and then he was like, and then I knew we were really in some hot water or something. Like yeah. That. No, like, I knew was we like, were in trouble. I was like, this girl should get like a Nobel prize, even though that doesn't really mean much, but just for, yeah, I don't know. That just, was, that, he was that like, girl. A, yeah, he was offended. And that girl was Michelle Obama. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. No, just kidding. (laughs) That's the one joke for this episode. Um, That girl was Kamala Harris. I was that girl. Kamala Harris. Oh my god, dude, I can't. (laughs) I can't. can't. We're getting way off track. I love it. No, people people already know from previous episodes we just get off track the whole time, basically. Yeah. So, we've been talking about, like, basically what happened like that started like destabilizing the party um but there was like definitely like one 
main thing that kind of started out like the further Set deterioration off, yeah. yeah so i mean well in the con- we, we forgot to mention that malcolm x was actually assassinated the year before the the black panther party started um and then dr king was assassinated also oh fuck i think it was 1968 but um mm-hmm. i didn't write it down but so there there was a lot of it was having a devastating impact and that really what started off all of this like this violence that ended up happening was there was this very young Black Panther Party He's member Bo- 17, Bobby right? Hutton yeah yeah he was 17 it's Bobby Hutton they tell the story uh we don't have to get into all the, the details but basically what happens is they're I think they shot like tear gas into into their house uh the cops did and so Bobby Hutton comes out and like he was told by I think uh Huey Newton or some other Black Panther that like he should really take all of his clothes off because then they can't say he had a weapon. Um, but he didn't take off his pants. He took off his shirt, and basically they just gunned him down like in cold blood. Um, the cops just killed him. He had his he he had his hands raised, but the cops just shot him. And they said um, this was like the first party member to be murdered. Yeah, yeah. So this is where it really started going downhill for um in addition to just the cointel pro stuff so this was the first panther who was killed um and that's like this is like part of the cointel pro stuff is right like they yeah, were yeah. they were like they knew where they were um because him wasn't it wasn't it him and eldridge were like this was after dr king was murdered and so they were yeah. like planning some kind of like response to that and then yeah. obviously they just like cornered them and then ended up killing bobby yeah, so that was a really extremely tragic part of this whole thing. And um, so Eldridge Cleaver, as we mentioned before, he so he was wanted for arrest. So like Huey was still, I think Huey was still in prison at this point. Um, and they just couldn't find him. So he was like a fugitive. Turns out he was in Algeria. He went to Algeria. And some of y'all know France Fanon. Fanon, I, I don't know how to pronounce things sometimes, but like Franz Fanon, um, there's a really good book, The Wretched of the Earth, that describes in great detail sort of this anti-colonial struggle in Algeria. But um, so that's what Algeria was like post-colonial, and the U.S. basically had no jurisdiction. They didn't have, they weren't allied or anything. They were like, you know, opposed to <laughs> liberation movements. So. Eldridge Cleaver was basically safe in Algeria, where he started a international Black Panther Party. Um, so he, it was really cool, like uh, at the beginning. So like he's yeah, he this would... is what I wanted to bring up earlier. Oh yeah, okay. Is yeah, literally ahead. he was just like shaking hands with all these other motherfuckers from all over the world, and they were like united in some of their principles and basically like because the U- the Vietnam War was going on our relations with other countries were like shit and then you have yeah. these like black Americans who are like actually we're opposed to all like the war and all of the kind of like imperialist movements um so like finally fucking somebody like representing America saying yeah. like we want to like have positive relations because yeah, of the I thought- Black Panther Party yeah, it was very inspiring to see this, like, internationalism, which is really, I mean, this is another example of, like, socialist philosophy, Marxist philosophy. Internationalism is very important. 
Um, so like, I remember them showing a photograph of, I think it was Eldridge Cleaver with uh, Yasser Arafat, who's like a yeah. Palestinian kind of like leader. Um, I think he was like poisoned by the U.S. or something, or maybe Israel. But um, anyway, yeah, they he went all over like Palestine, DPRK, China, Cuba, Vietnam. Um, so this was really cool internationalist kind of uh, development. But okay, so let's because see. nationalism is like one of the biggest threats, like it's oh, yeah. kind of like all of the fascist sentiments yeah. growing. Fascism, yeah. Nationalism is like the backbone of fascism for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so um as you were saying, Hannah, like, you know, the, there was a lot of resentment towards the US for the Vietnam War at this time. Um, which I would I would call it a genocide, basically like three million people, I think, is the one of the estimates I've heard in terms of the victims of the U.S. aggression in Vietnam. Um, I remember there's a Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King quote. Uh, I think it's from the Beyond Vietnam speech where he says that the U.S. government is the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. Yeah, So Straight yeah, up. That's definitely what's going on here. All these nations are like building solidarity with a working class movement, the Black Panther Party. It's really, really cool, really inspiring. Um, so, and then, so like, you guys remember Richard Nixon, another piece of shit. We we mentioned, mentioned he fucking Ra- rolls Reagan. up in a Rolls Royce with <laughs> a stupid, <laughs> stupid peace sign thing, and his like fucking skin hanging off his face, like it looks like a mask. Yeah, Richard Nixon. I you mean, he's him. comparable, you know comparable to Reagan like, as a piece of shit, racist, anti-Semitic. There's all the tapes. And you guys remember when he said, like, that the war on drugs was just basically an attempt to criminalize and jail, like, black people and um, anti-war protesters because you could conflate, like, crack cocaine with black people and, like, weed with the hippies and then literally just, like, criminalize both of those populations. And he was like, ha, 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 not even gonna be subtle about it. Yeah. So yeah, that was his, his that, advisor. Dude. Yeah, that was his like close advisor, like finally admitting that stuff. But like, um, yeah, it's because like the war on drugs started under Nixon, and I think I would see it as like almost a extension of Pro in a way. Hundred percent. Because there was like he saw his role as like I'm coming in to quote unquote crack down so it was like his whole shtick was like law and order which was basically all of it was just like euphemisms for like basically take down the Black Panther Party like quell black liberation exactly yeah and there's there's this other good book White Rage I think you read it right yeah well I've read like some of it Okay. Yeah, that's a good book for like learning about the white backlash after the civil rights movement and actually and throughout American history like whenever there was black progress. Um so you can I don't know. Yeah, check that check out. Check it out um, Carol Anderson, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. Um good ass book. Uh so this is really like the the FBI's cracking down hard at this point. Um under Nixon and so J. Edgar Hoover calls the Black Panther Party the greatest threat to U.S. national security. And this is like still during the Vietnam War. So people are like, wait, what about Vietnam? What? Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, 
Yeah, but Vietnam was never a threat anyway. The, the Gulf of Tonkin was fake. Everybody look it up. But uh, yeah, they started calling the Panthers like a terrorist organization. Yeah, um, so they like they intensified all of the like Cointel Pro stuff that was going on earlier, where they were essentially like, now they're like totally like if it wasn't obvious before, they're like basically like spying on them and attempting to create plots to like assassinate like the main yeah dude like the whole what did Definitely. they they literally like built a reconstruction of like one of the apartments oh yeah well yeah we'll get that to that in a second it's um disturbing. that's this the most fucked up part of this whole story basically but um so yeah they were doing these raids and they would i mean there was like a widespread fear at this point um that the cops were just basically out there trying to kill black panther party members um so there were all these arrests too, so like raids and arrests, just arresting Panther, uh, Black Panthers for pretty much no reason. Um, and there was like a lack of resources to deal with all the legal fees and all this shit. There was like this huge instance of 21 Black Panthers being arrested in New York. This was in 1969. Um, they just made up false allegations of like bomb plots hundred thousand dollar bail for each each person um so they had this is like when everything started going downhill because they were pouring all their resources really into like the legal defense fund right so one good thing that happened was that the the jury um found everyone not guilty in this case um but there's still all these other trials going on and with the new york 21 yeah, the New York 21, so that was that was cool. Like, there was a huge celebration. Um, they were found not, not guilty. But the problem was that there was... This they was going literally, on like, planted false... Al- I just can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is stuff that... <sighs> yeah, the U.S. government does this all the fucking time. Like, yeah, it's fucked up. But, okay, so... So, yeah, it's really deteriorating the organization, and, like, there's widespread fear and paranoia, and people are, like not joining because they think they're going to you know go to prison which is which was probably true at the time because they were just arresting black panther party members so bobby seal there's like he gives a speech actually there's this movie i think it's called the chicago seven that i watched recently that summarizes this whole trial but bobby seal is like arrested for giving a speech they say that he that he like started a riot or whatever um he wanted to represent himself in court but the judge wouldn't let him because it's a fucking racist piece of shit. Um, so like, oh my god! Yeah, and they they like put tape over his mouth and tie him to the chair. And it's like this. It's the most dehumanizing, like disturbing yeah. display. Like obviously this shit happens, but when you see it like so blatantly in court, like yeah. And what is the one guy who's interviewed? I think he was a Black Panther Party member. He said like it. it I don't remember who it was, but he was like comparing it to like slavery where yeah. it's like this is just a like a metaphor for like you're a slave you know yeah um but so this yeah th- more more protests just like the free huey protests more protests came after this uh during this trial um so this was really when a young fred hampton became more prominent so he was the deputy chairman of the illinois chapter of the black panthers and he was like tw- 20 at the time he he had like started with um like the youth chapter when he was like 17 or something so he'd already had like experience 
for several years and he's already still super young yeah and he was just like if you all know about like dr king's speeches i would say fred hampton was comparable in his ability to just like bust out a speech very inspiring speeches yeah like, and, like mesmerized yeah and he was just extremely articulate in, in like the the black panther's message and like inspiring people and like gaining you know more people to their cause galvanizing and, like, yeah there you go and the other the other thing about fred hampton that they saw him as a threat not only because of how charismatic he was and like not just the speeches but it was like he was uniting all the people yeah he was uniting people of different races so it was like um racial unity and and that's what they they feared is they didn't want there to be like poor white people to be in solidarity with the the black liberation struggle because then they'd really be in trouble and that was kind of like what he was fostering in these meetings yeah exactly so i mean to be fair he this this is dangerous to the ruling class which is good but they recognized it so um yeah and this is another thing side note like racism is used by the ruling class to divide and conquer so that's something you have to keep in mind um but yeah this is like blowing my mind (laughs) so there are these other organizations the young lords and the young patriots and there were several others that were um they were forming alliances with the black panthers and like having these meetings and stuff um and then hoover yeah so he was terrified of this development and they said that they feared a quote black messiah emerging that was like literally a quote from like some fucking fbi records (laughs) yeah exactly i was like come on guys but um so like well this is this is the really tragic part of this the most fucked part of it Okay, yeah, content warning, because there's a lot of violence here. I think we should have said content warning before. Yeah, from the beginning. Just... So, sorry about that. I'll put it in we can put the it, yeah, description exactly. or whatever. But so, like, what happened was that Fred Hampton's bodyguard turned out to be an FBI informant. Um, the pigs, they said it was a shootout. It wasn't. What happened was the pigs assassinated Fred Hampton. It was just an assassination. There was no shootout. Um, we know that now. They beforehand had been like, you know, you're going up against these armed people who are dangerous, so we're going to do a, you know, a no-knock, you know, yeah. no-warrant, basically, situation and get them by the element of surprise. So so basically, assassinate him. Yeah, so it was this very um, bloody and disturbing scene where there were, like, several black panthers in this house and basically like this was at like 4 30 in the morning i think it was december 4th 1969 yeah and just like bullets started flying through the walls like there was machine gun yeah there was one cop had like a fully automatic they called it like a machine gun um this is one guy described it as a death squad which i think is the best term uh a death squad assassination so yeah fred hampton was killed um there was one other black panther member who was killed and he this other black panther party member was shot through the door and he was shot in the heart and 
uh, involuntarily, he pulled the trigger of his gun. So like one. That bullet, was the only like Black Panther yeah, bullet. That was the one bullet that came out of the house. I think it just went through like the roof or some shit. Or but like in any case, uh, they the cops lied about this. Um, that's and like they, they they lied like with like straight faces like to the public like in interviews they were like yes this is, our account is the truth and it was like how can you fucking live with yourself and that was the when you what you were talking about Hannah about the um, when they set up the fake uh, apartment like doors and stuff to do to show people like what happened um, they built like a it was like they built a set. And said like, and they were like practicing like how they yeah. were gonna like lie to the public. Yeah, they were like, I came through this door, and they started shooting. Like they just completely it's, fabricated me. Yeah, up, it's just all really bullshit. disturbing. But yeah, so like, I mean, this is a good example of what the <laughs> what the federal government will is do willing to, to do to people who are communists or socialists or revolutionaries. Any sort of threat, like or what they perceive as a threat. Yeah. So this was, like, obviously devastating. So after this, um, there were, like, renewed calls for releasing Huey Newton. Um, and he finally did get freed from jail. Um, and sort of got back into continuing the survival programs. They're called survival programs, like the free breakfast, free food, free clinics, all that good stuff. Um, he was articulating that people would not be able to participate in revolutionary activity if their material needs weren't met so but then like what we were talking about earlier like yeah the fractioning of the party had kind of like its roots had been laid earlier but like obviously with like with the assassination of fred hampton like things just got worse and worse um, yeah exactly and whatever we'll get into this more in a second but um with Huey Newton, he, like, with him being incarcerated and then, like, just everything in his life, I don't know, it was just a precursor to what happens next. Yeah, so this is, yeah, the fracturing of the party into into two separate factions, basically, because um, Aldridge Cleaver is still in Algeria, and they're having this beef and, like... Um, between Cleaver and Huey Newton. Um, Eldridge Cleaver is like, as we were talking about before, escalating the rhetoric. And at this point, like, just kind of talking shit about the domestic yeah. Black Panther Party. Like and, saying and Huey that they're Newton. kind of like, they're not like fulfilling the purpose they were originally like set out for. And they're like, yeah, weak, basically. Yeah, not, not revolutionary enough and yeah. all that. So, like, the thing about this is the FBI was wanted this to happen and was this doing is the whole certain point. things. Yeah, so the FBI wanted this to happen and was like doing certain uh, things to try to ensure that this would happen to like foster it. Yeah, and yeah, and this I mean, there's already this like I said atmosphere of paranoia within the party. I mean, rightfully so because of what Cointelpro was doing, um, but this did like significant damage to the party um and basically what happens towards the end this is like the early 70s uh bobby seal decides to run for mayor of oakland this is 1972 and you know like as i said the party is significantly d diminished at this point and there's like 
not a lot going on nationally. So they kind of concentrate their resources into this um, mayoral campaign. Um, they actually, they, they did like way better than they thought they were going to do. They got like yeah. this huge campaign and um, got a lot of people excited about him. And he was actually like, he almost won. Yeah, he was very close. Uh, there was a runoff and he he ended up, lo- um, Bobby Seal ended up losing the election, but it was like just a very inspiring thing because they they registered um, tens of thousands. The estimate was between 20,000 and 50,000 voters. So this was part of the campaign was like registering uh, primarily black people to vote yeah. um, because that was one of the things they noticed was, uh, I, I think I mentioned this, I might have mentioned this, but like the police terror, like after the, um, the Voting Rights Act was like partially to prevent black people from voting. So this was like pretty inspiring in terms of like that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, it, like the... The, the whole thing started going down to hill as we're talking about, kind of with the assassination of Fred Hampton as well as Cointelpro, all of yeah, the state so, terror. I mean, they just show it kind of like briefly, um, but yeah, um, Huey Newton. I mean, they. I don't know the people they were interviewing were, you know, they had a very negative image of him by the end because he was really struggling with like substance addiction as well as like what seemed to be some pretty severe mental health issues. And when you think about, like, his life and, like, the trauma that he's experienced, obviously, like, don't condone him being, like, abusive, but I think it makes sense that he basically had the mental breakdown that he did. Absolutely, yeah. Um, As as I wrote about Dr. King when he was assassinated, it was this, what happened to um, Huey Newton was really exactly what they wanted, the FBI. Uh, just everything to fall apart uh, to neutralize this was like you know one way that they could be neutralized well that's like why people started leaving the party is like the the leadership had not only fractured but also like as leaders they were like mentally falling apart and so people were like i can't like be part of this anymore yeah so it was really like you know at the end it was like eldridge cleaver the international black panther party completely alienated or separated from the domestic one Huey Newton struggling with drug addiction and just like all these people leaving and then Bobby Seale actually left the party and that's kind of when yeah it sort of fizzled out yeah of existence a lot of people just kept leaving so this is like yeah that's the that's the basic story and that's like the overview of the documentary um this is kind of like it's it's such a mix of emotions because there's so many amazing successes that the Black yeah. Panther Party had, but then there's also the the very tragic um, demise of the party. Yeah, I think that's like the sense that I was left with afterwards of just like such intense extremes of beautiful like triumph and then also just like devastating loss. Yeah, exactly. So I just want to like go through a little bit more information about just how the uh the Marxist and socialist kind of character of the Black Panther Party. So the documentary mentioned it a little bit, not like barely at all as you can expect it's like a mainstream kind of documentary. 
Um, so there is, as we mentioned before, one of our sources is uh, from Liberation News, which is the newspaper of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. So I just wanted to kind check of like, it out. Yeah, I wanted to read through part of the article. Um, Black Panther Party Chairman Bobby Seale wrote in his book, Seize the Time, the historical experience of black people translated through Marxism-Leninism is really the ideology of the Black Panther Party. So there you go, folks, black and white. Um, Pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, so the Black Panther Party was born into a world where socialist revolution had tremendous prestige, from the Soviet Union to China to Cuba. Over a third of the world's population lived in countries whose governments aspired to build socialism. The Panthers saw their struggle against racism and national oppression as part of this worldwide movement to break free of imperialism. Um, I'm probably not going to read all of this, but y'all, we'll, we'll link to um, these sources and everything. But Yeah, um, it really just like brings it all together when you think about like the roots of the party and how it relates to all these other kind of international struggles and um the way that all those philosophies come together as like one force yeah i'll just go through a few more things like so building off the slogan and ideology of the chinese communist party quote to serve the people the black panthers um established breakfast programs in uh, all over the nation so like you can see the roots of you know communist ideology which i wholeheartedly endorse by the way <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> little plug. So these, yeah, it was like the survival programs, the the armed cop watch patrols, as they say. Um, a lot of this had had socialist inspiration behind it, as well as just the actual beliefs of. I think I should actually let me see if there's yeah. So, so um, George Jackson is a really good. Uh, panther that y'all should look into uh he wrote blood in my eye and i haven't read it yet but there's like there's a revolutionary left radio episode uh detailing that but so shout out brett yeah shout out to brett brett o'shea um so episode with him on it if you haven't already yeah episode three with brett o'shea um anyway (laughs) (laughs) so George, george jackson said i met marx lenin trotsky Engels, and mao when i entered prison and they redeemed me so if that ain't that, the fucking shit right there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I really just want to kind of end this whole topic of the Marxist uh, dimensions of the Black Panther Party with, there's this Fred Hampton quote. So he said... Listen up, folks. He said, we don't think you should fight fire with fire. Uh, we think you fight fire best with water. We're going to fight racism, not with racism but we're going to fight it with solidarity. Uh, We say that we're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we're going to fight it with socialism. We've stood up and said, we're not going to fight reactionary pigs and reactionary state attorneys like this. We're going to fight their reactions with all of us people getting together and having an international proletarian revolution. Fucking boom. Boom. So uh, there you have it, folks. Uh, You know, the Black Panther Party was communist. Uh, just and truly, like, exemplary of... I mean, they would have... I don't know what they would have been able to accomplish if they hadn't been, like, systematically hunted and destroyed by the U.S. government, but a truly a beautiful 
harrowing example of what happens when people fucking come together and organize to kind of like liberate themselves and basically everyone pretty amazing starting you know with at the community level really with the the basic material needs so the stuff that we've been talking about like in multiple episodes of like obviously like being in a revolutionary time right now over the past year and just seeing like all of the needs in multiple communities um and being like we're not going to be provided for so we have to provide mutual aid like in this moment obviously like try and struggle towards a you know big scale changes but i think that that's what they were like really showing is like you take care of each other now and then in the future you know try and change things in a bigger way but like still at the same time care for people in the moment yeah yeah it's beautiful stuff folks um it kind of i just thought of this now it kind of reminds me of like if you think about the story of the Black Panther Party and how it was like destroyed by reactionary capitalist forces, basically the U.S. government, um, it's kind of like other countries and what they go through at the hands of like U.S. imperialism, um, and just like I don't know, like Cuba is an example where like they've suffered under this you know draconian blockade for sixty years, yet they're still able to accomplish all of this. Yeah. They've, they send doctors all over the world. They have universal health care, universal housing, free education. They have um, a higher life expectancy than the U.S. now. Um, yeah, they, remember they, when we were talking about... The, oh, yeah, the housing the, episode? No, when we were talking about in Happy Cool Year of, like, all those fucking fascists being like, America first, like, USA. And I'm like, oh, yeah. we're number one in being the fucking shittiest yeah exactly and all of these metrics yeah precisely um but yeah i I don't know i just find the black panther party extremely inspiring something that along with many other revolutionary we need to know about shit like this because it's like yeah i've learned so much in such a short time about like how it has informed all the fucking revolutionary shit that's been going on recently and you know you can like look to them for guidance yeah exactly and kind of you know as we're talking about kind of the whitewashing of history and how you really need to kind of look into these revolutionary movements to find inspiration but also to learn from their successes and even some of their failures as i said a lot of the so-called failures can be um attributed to imperialism or like capitalist interference in the case of the like COINTELPRO kind of the ruling class lashing out against this movement but yeah look into it folks uh study do the your other revolutions <laughs> study the Russian revolution all that good stuff uh Cuban revolution do push-ups go to therapy yeah this is this is where we wind it down this is um, where we devolve into like chaos unrelated advice yeah <laughs> buy a gun uh not always but drink consider water. it oh yeah think drink about water you can buy mace um yeah 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 if you're a <laughs> potentially woman slash female-bodied person who has significant mental health issues maybe just buy some mace 
Buy some, yeah, pepper spray, buy a taser, you know, protect your, Brass your knuckles. family and your community. Learn martial arts. I don't know if those are legal, but if they're legal, yeah. <laughs> don't do anything illegal folks. we get back into this whole thing. Don't yeah. do anything that we wouldn't, actually maybe do stuff we wouldn't do, but yeah, do things it's that hard we wouldn't to do. say. Don't do anything illegal as a disclaimer. We don't in, condone anything illegal. Clearly, because revolutions are legal, right? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. This is ridiculous. So do as we say, not as we do. And also don't yeah. do what we say. Yeah. This is like a quote from previous episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Just take what you will from this. Yeah. And if you don't like it, then don't listen. Yeah, exactly. We're sick of having people listen who don't. <laughs> we should start fucking ripping on them. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, as we often say, we, we try to plan this, but a lot of it is improvised uh so just enjoy this is just a regular conversation you know that you know the thing <laughs> we're just making excuses yeah um, we're just, I'm, I, I apologize profusely for no i think we had a lot of good information you know obviously this is when we talk about like black history this is such a small shred of like the shit that people should know about um yeah exactly. yeah i just really like appreciated being able to learn about it a little bit and so yeah go out there and uh learn yourself some shit especially yeah, if folks, you're white uh, solidarity with the uh, black liberation we gotta say happy black history month yep shout out to all my uh friends of color loved ones of color stay strong we're with you um yeah, yeah. we love you folks all right we love you all uh thanks for listening this is, once again, this is This American Left, folks. We'll see, see you next, you next time. time.